we'll get into this tonight. This is one of those important words. We give. All right, so let's just pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for an open heaven, your presence here. What an awesome presence of God during the worship. And Lord, we just, we pray over the word. I thank you for anointing and speaking to me everything that needs to be said under an anointing that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will move upon the people, all that are hearing this, to give us good fertile soil, to be able to give you our best here, our full attention, our focus, that we're not distracted or hindered, but the Holy Spirit moving upon our minds and our hearts, that we'll be able to understand things by the Holy Spirit that he will touch our eyes and ears, to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, that maybe we can see and hear things that we normally couldn't, but the Holy Spirit helps us. And like the book of Ephesians, the enlightening the eyes of our hearts, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we'll be able to see truth tonight. And Lord, I thank you by your Holy Spirit that we're going to lock in and focus. We're going to get everything out of this. And as you speak through me, let this be as living seed sown into good soil. That'll be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes, and that everything's going to be accomplished in and through this time that your will to be done. Let it be a bright light of truth shining, the washing of the water of the word, a hammer that breaks through strongholds, a sword that penetrates, the power of God's word, a two-edged sword. And Lord, I thank you for everything being accomplished through this, not only here, but as this goes out to the nations, let the winds of your spirit carry it everywhere it needs to go. And we stand on the promise it will not return void. It will accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. And Lord, we also know Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We must flee as a church. We bind up everything of the enemy right now that would try to hinder this in any way. We commit to be bound and back off in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for clearing that out right now. We expect it. And everything will go forward in this word and be accomplished in every life. We expect it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so normally in my sermons, I have a lot of notes and a lot of scriptures and all of that. I'm kind of just speaking from the heart tonight because I've preached so much along these lines through the years. And my main heart is, is that the sermon part will be a little shorter because I want to have some time. We're going to take communion together in a really powerful way tonight, and we're going to anoint people with oil and pray for you. And then we have water immersion after church for those that want to participate. So it's going to be a night to really consecrate our lives unto God. And so let me just go through this and explain some things. Um, first off, I want to say that for those that haven't been here, that every couple times a year, we have a time as a church where we go into a season of prayer and fasting. And so we've been doing that as a whole church for the last couple weeks. And during the time of prayer and fasting, we have specific prayer requests that we're believing for as a church for God to do those things. But also, I always strongly encourage people to pray and fast that God purify you and show you things in your life maybe you didn't see before. But the Holy Spirit may be to bring up stuff to, as, as we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting has to do with humility and deep repentance. So if, those, if you're taking notes, those are the two things first to say that you jot down, humility and deep repentance. That is really what fasting is supposed to be about. So that as we humble ourselves and we really deeply repent of anything that does not please the Lord, that... God just deeply cleanses us on the inside. He frees up our lives. And at the end of the fast, and I feel like that God is calling a lot of people in this particular fast to go beyond today. So there, and I feel led to do it myself. So there's going to be an extension in the fast. But normally as we end the fast, we come together for a deep consecration service. And then this particular service, as we end the sermon part, we'll take communion as we do we're believing God to bring every part of our lives under the blood of Jesus in a fresh way. And then, as we anoint with oil, there's just a fresh baptism of fire. There's a fresh anointing. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, but also His power to help us be overcomers, okay? To, to rise up and overcome areas maybe that used to be difficult. And then finally, as we water immerse, and I'll explain some of this in a moment, there's just a, a deep cleansing, there's a separation of things, and 
I'll get to that by the end of the sermon. So that's what we're doing tonight. And as I go through this sermon, it'll kind of explain scripturally where all this comes from because it's all through the Word of God. So the first thing I want to, I want to deal with is iniquity. And I'm dealing with, in Revelation chapter 7, we've just gone through the book of Revelation. Remember, it talked about the whore of Babylon, and it talked about she had blasphemous names written on her head, and she had this cup of iniquity, but she was called Mystery Babylon. See, mystery is because nobody sees her. You see that? So I'm going somewhere with this, so just follow me. So picture for a moment, you go out, you're in this cabin, and there's this beautiful lake. I mean, it's, a, it's got this pier. It's got beautiful trees out there, and you see this lake. There's no doubt there's fish in it. It's a, it's a nice place. You could sit back and relax, but under the surface, under the water, you don't see it, but maybe there's some crocodiles under there, and maybe there's some very poisonous snakes. And even though it's a beautiful place, under the surface, there's hidden danger. And so mystery, Babylon, the mystery part, the mysterious part, is how the enemy tries to hide. And that's the word occult. Occult means hidden. So there's a mystery about the occult. That's what kind of lures people in to like a spider's web is, is the mystery of it. And as a preacher, I've always tried to be diligent to take the, the mystery out of it and ex rip back the veil and expose it for the garbage that it really is. But anyway, iniquity is that way. It is mysterious. So let me explain this. And again, if you're taking notes, these are the things that you really need to know. And again, I don't have, I'm not going to belabor the point, and I'm not going to go into great detail and make this a long sermon. I'm going to just systematically go through this, okay? So without looking up every scripture and all this, you can look it up for yourself. But the word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. That's what it means. So the picture is, how many of you guys have ever done archery? You know, you shoot a bow and arrow. I never did it with like a nice bow and an actual target. As a kid, I would bend a stick and I'd put a string and I would shoot it. And, but, you know, I could hit some things and I missed many times. But sin is like that. It's where you're aiming at something, but you just simply miss. It's unintentional. Your intentions are good, but you miss. And the Bible says about sin that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory. The Bible is very clear in 1 John that if we say that we're without sin, we just deceive ourselves. So every Christian alive on planet Earth right now still has areas of imperfection, areas where we have to say, Lord, forgive us. How many knows what I'm talking about? And so we walk in the light as he's in the light, and we're just quick to ask forgiveness for any sins or imperfections or where we miss the mark, okay? And it's important to be quick to ask forgiveness. So sin is common, and, but here's the, if you go deeper now, transgressions is a lot more serious because transgression means rebellion. Totally different word totally different meaning. See, in the Bible, Eve was deceived, and so she sinned. She didn't intentionally miss the mark. She was tricked by the devil, so she sinned. Now, the Bible is very clear about this. I don't have time to look it up, but you guys go home if you really want to research this out. Adam was not deceived at all. He knew what he was doing, and he rebelled. He transgressed the word of God. So rebellion, transgression, is not an accident. Transgression is premeditated. It's where you know something is wrong, and you still do it anyway. It's a much more serious thing before God. So the Bible talks about sin. It talks about how the blood of Jesus washes away our sins, but it says about transgressions, it has to be blotted out. So Jesus was pierced for what? Our transgressions. See, So transgressing before the Lord is much more serious, but we can be forgiven if we will humble ourselves and ask forgiveness and we'll repent of it. 
And how many knows that what the Lord is looking for is repentance? You want to know somebody that's not really going to walk in forgiveness is somebody that comes down and they get convicted, so they come down and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but then they leave right back out knowing that they're going to keep doing it. That's not how you walk in forgiveness before the Lord. So God doesn't play that. So the Lord wants us to really repent. He wants us to get on our face and humble ourselves and deal with things. So our sins can be washed away. Our transgressions can be blotted out. But iniquity is altogether different. It's a different word, and it has a very different meaning, and it is actually even more severe than transgressions because iniquity is actually like a bondage. So the word iniquity means this. It means like bent or crooked. Now, you guys are familiar with like a corkscrew. So imagine if you have to remove a cork out of a bottle, and you take one of those corkscrews down into the cork. You, you, know, you turn it, it gets down in there, and you can pull, and you can pull that cork out. But see, if you have something that's straight, like a nail that's just driven in straight, and then you have something that's got that corkscrew that you tighten it down in, which one is easier to rip back out of the wall? The nail just comes right out. The other one takes some real pulling to get it out. Iniquity is like that corkscrew. It's bent. It's crooked. It gets a hook in people like a fish hook. It gets down in there, and it's, it's difficult to get out, but it can, the Lord can deliver us from anything. But see, what iniquity is, it's, it's a bent, crooked thing within. So people say, well, pastor, why is it that I've had this besetting sin? I've prayed about it, and I still struggle in this specific area. You know what it is? It's because it's not a sin, and it's not even transgression because you're not rebelling it's an iniquity root in you that the Lord needs to take out of you. That's what it is. And you're in bondage to that until the Lord takes it out of you. See, sin, you just confess it, it's washed away, that's the end of the matter. Transgression is a little more serious. You need to get on your face, Lord, I, I rebelled, forgive me, he'll blot it out. But iniquity has got to be taken out. So iniquity also... It's very mysterious, but not, not only is it something that an individual will deal with, but most iniquity, I'm not saying all, but most of it travels down the family bloodline, and you can see it in the family. That's why you see certain things in entire families. You'll see that a family is given to angry outburst, rage, strife, divorce, they can't even get together to have a barbecue without somebody starting a fight with each other, the cops are called, and you're wondering, what in the world? You know what it is? It's iniquity in that bloodline. There's something there that's like a rage in their blood. Where did it come in? How did it get in that family? Well, it could be that somebody of the bloodline committed a violent crime, a murder, or something like that that brought it in. I don't know. Another, there's different iniquity bondages that you can see in people. Let me, let me give you a couple of them. Some families are plagued with pridefulness, and because they're proud, they're stubborn. How many knows that pride is a difficult thing to get through to people? When you go out witnessing, you can talk to a lot of people about a lot of things, but when you meet somebody that's proud, it's hard to get through that. They're stubborn. They're set in their ways. They already know it. They already know what they need to know. And pride is also leads to rebellion. And, and those two are different, but they go together. That's why I put them on the same line there. But being proud and being rebellious. Pride and rebellion both are iniquity roots in some people that they struggle with. A rebellious iniquity in somebody, they don't like to be told what to do. And they just have a rebellious streak about them. It's hard to, to help these people because prideful people don't want to listen. 
and rebellious people don't want to change. And those iniquity drives inside people. It's one thing if somebody gets a little proud and somebody might be a little rebellious here and there. I'm not saying that they're in bondage to iniquity. We all, we all have done that, okay? But you can see in some people where it's, it's deeper than that. It's like they're in bondage to it. They're very, they, they're very proud. They don't want to hear things, and they're very, some people are very rebellious. And that, is, that can be an iniquity root in them. And if you look at their family, you'll probably see that other people are the same way. It's in the blood. So picture in the blood that you have DNA, you have blue eyes and dark hair, whatever, you have this, you have that, you have certain height, uh, certain weight, uh, there's different things about bone structure, etc. All this is in the DNA, it's in the blood, but you know what else is in the blood? That iniquity that has never been dealt with. It travels down the bloodlines. But also blessings travel down. Did you know that? Generational blessings, generational prayers, people's families that have been dedicated to the Lord, etc. That also travels down the blood. So there's both positive and negative. I'm just focusing on the negative because I want people to be free tonight. So that pride and that rebellion and that stubbornness, sometimes somebody will say, you know, maybe there's somebody that's really difficult to admit they're wrong. It's really difficult to apologize about things. They're stubborn. They're slow to change. Those type of people, that's usually an iniquity within them. And the, the way that you get over that is this right here. It's always the remedy is always the cross. So if you ask forgiveness, but then you find yourself still struggling with it, then you ask forgiveness, and then you still struggle, and it's like that over and over and over, you're not dealing with a sin. You're probably dealing with an iniquity drive in you. So... The Bible says about Jesus, here's the remedy. He was pierced for what? Our transgressions. But what was he bruised for? Our iniquity. And so when we get on our face, I'm going to tell you the power of prayer and fasting, because we're doing this right now. Fasting is connected to what? Humility and deep repentance. When you get on your face in prayer and fasting and say, Lord, forgive me for this iniquity. I repent of it in me and in my blood. Lord, take this out of me the Lord will reach in there and pull that out. And it's like that corkscrew that's down in there, but the Lord will pull that thing out of you. How many can honestly say this, because I can, that there was something that you used to really struggle with, but it's like the Lord took it out of you and you don't struggle with it like you used to. How many can honestly say that? You know what that was? That was an iniquity inside. It was a drive. It was something you struggled with. And you felt bad, but you kept struggling. But as you humbled yourself in prayer, the Lord reached in there and pulled that out of you. He delivered you from that bondage to iniquity. So that's the power right now of prayer and fasting. That's why I'm preaching on this. The second thing is idolatry and the worship of other gods. Idolatry definitely forms an iniquity. And an idol can be anything in your life that's too important to you. In the area of your heart that should be to the Lord, you have something else there that has your affections. It can be anything. It can be a relationship. It can be making money. It can be a material possession. But it's an idol. And also in families where you see other religions and you see religions that have idols and altars and covenants, etc., these other religions... Um, very common in America, Freemasonry. Um, it could be Mormonism or, you know, I don't know, Catholicism, just anything that has other, other gods, other idols and altars and covenants and dedications and all these things. It forms iniquity in people. And that iniquity there, especially in the area of idolatry, is connected to a Jezebel spirit. And so the Lord, we need to get on our face and repent of all the idols, the altars, the covenants, areas that other gods have been worshipped. Maybe your ancient ancestry goes back to uh, Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever, but there's those idols. And that is an iniquity. And so people are in bondage to iniquity. You wonder why sometimes I've seen this with certain people. 
they have an affinity toward something in their family ancestry that's not good. You know what that is? That's an iniquity. I remember one time years ago, I was doing some research, and, I, and there was a story, and these young people were feeling like a draw back. They happened to be from the African continent, but they were feeling a draw back to their family roots and that religion, which was Obeah, which is witchcraft. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, they're from America. Why in the world are they wanting to go back to that religion, that witchcraft? What is drawing them back? Well, it's simple, iniquity that's in their blood. And so until they get on their face and say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, I give you everything, you know, and people that never, see, there's a stubbornness in some people that they only go so far in Jesus. Other people sell out and go all the way, but others will only go up to a point, and then they always shrink back. But if you ever get to the place where you surrender every part of your heart and life to him and say, Lord, I repent of all this stuff, all this junk that's been in my family blood, I repent of it, I turn from it, let the blood of Jesus cleanse me and separate me from all this iniquity, take it out of me, there's a freedom in that. Also, the occult, this is a big one. The occult is very ancient, very powerful, very dangerous. And Satan has done a, a very masterful job of infiltrating things, targeting children and teenagers with witchcraft and the occult like you wouldn't believe. He's trying to disguise it as being fun and innocent to be like bait. See, when you go fishing, if you really want to catch a fish, you want to use the right bait. And then you're going to cast the line, and your, your goal is what? To, get, to hook them. Once they're hooked, they're caught. See, these children's shows and all that are like casting bait, and the enemy's trying to seduce them toward the occult. And if they get into things, they get into certain cartoons, then, then they start getting into Harry Potter, then they start getting into the next thing, maybe Twilight, then they get into the next thing, next thing, next thing you know. Now they, they want to play Ouija boards, they want to learn how to cast spells. They want to learn how to contact psychics. They want to participate in seances. And now Satan has got a, a hook in them, and he's got them in bondage to the occult. And they've opened themselves up from the occult of demonic spirits and curses. So now I've seen some people, because I'm dealing with iniquity tonight, that have something in them that is like they feel drawn to the occult. And they wonder, why is it that I, I have this fascination and this desire to watch these dark movies? And why do I feel like a draw toward this occult stuff? Well, could it be that some people in your family ancestry were in the occult? And therefore, that iniquity is in your blood, even though you yourself have not participated, you feel some kind of a fascination and some kind of a seduction toward it that something wants you to go that direction. You're, you have an unhealthy curiosity about it. It's like an itch that you want to scratch in your life. You know what that is? That's iniquity in the blood. And the occult, here's what the occult will do in people. It will also put in them some kind of a spiritual lust toward darkness, spiritual darkness. There's a lust for spiritual darkness. And the reason why people many times get in the occult or get into things like Freemasonry and other realms of, of the occult, because there's an aspect of that. I don't have time to get into it, but it is connected to the occult, is because they want some kind of hidden knowledge and power. You see that? So there's, a, there's an iniquity also in the occult of wanting knowledge and power that you don't have. Power over other people. Power over being able to supernaturally get wealth, 
supernaturally control people. There's a, there's a lust for power and also for hidden knowledge. Then the next thing would be sexual lusts. You can see this in families, and you can see that certain people struggle with this. They, they have something in them that's a drive towards sexual lust, toward pornography. And even though they pray about it and they ask forgiveness, see, it's not just a sin, but they're in bondage to it. And they feel like this drive that they can't shake. And these individuals will sometimes not only get into pornography, but some of them will get into a very promiscuous life and sometimes even begin to rape others and, and molest kids, and etc. because there's this iniquity in them that they, there's a drive toward that, you see. And that sexual lust can be a strong drive in there, and it is an iniquity. And you can see it in families. You wonder why, why certain families seem to be plagued with certain things. Certain families, you see that uh, sexual lust and pornography, and you see maybe adulterous affairs and uh, uh, you know, promiscuity and things like that. It's so pervasive in families. But see, that's that iniquity in there. And I don't have time to get into Freemasonry. I've picked on it a couple times. But it not only is idolatry, and it not only has an occult aspect to it, but it also is very sexual. And I don't have time to get into this, and a lot of people on the lower levels don't know that, but it is very sexual, and even the apron that is worn is connected to the sexual aspect of it. So you'll see that there's definitely some kind of a drive in some people that's lust. Now, the next one I would mention is like a bloodlust. There are certain people that there's an iniquity in them that is there and they feel maybe they're fascinated with certain types of movies that are extremely graphically violent. And they don't know why, but they really enjoy watching these movies that, that people are just graphically mutilated. And... They fascinate maybe about these things. They, they get into video games that are like that, and they have some kind of a bloodlust in them, and they may even have tendencies toward murder, that they, they think about it in their mind. They have tendencies toward hatred. They have tendencies to have a rage come up within them, to blow up in a rage and get violent. And where somebody else would just argue and fight, this person will pick up a knife and argue and fight. And they're, they're dangerous. And what you're dealing with there is you're dealing with something, an iniquity drive in them that goes back to something to do with murder and violence. And there's like a bloodlust. And the Lord needs to take that iniquity out and deliver them from maybe some kind of a spirit of murder or hate. There's also an iniquity about money. It's interesting that Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. So that's an interesting statement. Of all these things I'm reading, Jesus referenced the love of money as a root. You know what that is? That's an iniquity. Iniquity is like roots that are entangled down in you. You guys ever try to pull a weed out of the ground, and it's got, what has it got? It's got roots going all these different directions, right? And so it's kind of hard to get that thing completely pulled out by the roots. That's iniquity. See, it's entangled. It's like screwed down in. It's entangled down in somebody. And the Lord's got to reach in there and pull that thing out by the roots. But see, here's what I'm getting at tonight. If we will humble ourselves, all of us, and get on our face, in prayer and fasting, and say, Lord, forgive me for this iniquity. It's been in me. It's been in my family blood. We're guilty. I'm guilty. I repent. Lord, forgive me for it and take it out of me. With prayer and fasting, the Lord will take that pollution out of you. That's why Catherine Coleman always prayed, take out of me by the roots and kill what's not of you. Take it out of me by the roots and kill it. What a prayer to pray. She was dealing with iniquity. 
And let me tell you, the love of money can definitely form an iniquity. And you'll see that people have this thing about being discontented. Nothing they ever have is good enough. If they get a nice car, they want a better car. If they get this, they want two of them. They're just never content. They're never really happy. And it's in their heart. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's in their heart that they themselves are not content and happy within them. And it's a root of the love of money. And that, that iniquity in some people, if it's not dealt with, it can result in greed. People will be willing to step on another person. They're willing to rip off another person. They're willing to, to swindle. They're willing to hurt somebody else in, the, in their business to damage another person to be able to get ahead. But it's this love of money that's like a drive in their lives in iniquity, okay? So discontentment that leads to grumbling, also being negative and grumbling and complaining about things because they're not happy within themselves, all right? So that's the iniquity of the love of money. And then the last iniquity, and let me say in here that I didn't necessarily mention everything. I'm just trying to give you things to think about. I didn't mention in here about substance abuse. But you see that in families, don't you? And and, uh, pharmakeia is a spirit, and that's where drugs come in. And in the Bible, it's connected to sorcery, and it says that in the Bible. And so you see that there's substances that are iniquity. Uh, There's other things like a Jezebel-type thing and and control, controlling behavior. That that can be an iniquity. Um, There's other things that I didn't mention. I'm just trying to give you things to think about. The final one I do want to mention is bitterness. So the, when people don't forgive quickly and they harbor unforgiveness, here's what happens. Over time, it begins to form like a root and it becomes bitterness. And that bitterness forms deep roots inside somebody. It's like black roots that are spread down in It defiles the person, it changes their personality, and not only that, it opens the door for a lot of sickness and health problems. But bitterness is an iniquity, and the Lord has got to take that out by the roots. So if you you just simply get hurt, you have unforgiveness, and then you forgive, how many knows that it's kind of over at that point? You need to forgive from your heart. How do you forgive from your heart? Well, everybody close your eyes for a second. It's not intellectual. It's something in your belly because that's where your spirit is. It's from your deepest place. And you can look, you can literally with your mind envision that person. And you, when you do, you may feel all kinds of hurt, but you say, Lord, help me right now. Forgive this person from my spirit. I want to release them 100% that there's nothing there anymore, I forgive them. And you feel like a release. That is forgiving from your heart. It's forgiving from your spirit, okay? And then once you forgive people, the Bible says to bless them. It's like tearing up the IOU, isn't it? They, you feel like they owe you something. How many knows a lot of people, when they hurt you, they are wrong, but you're never going to get an apology out of some people. So you're just going to have to tear up the IOU and let it go, give it to God, who says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and you've got to be okay. And you can't hold unforgiveness because you're not going to hurt the person. You're just drinking spiritual poison by doing so. That's it. You're only hurting yourself. So you need to close your eyes and forgive them from your spirit, release them, let it go, tear up the IOUs, give it to God, bless them, and go on with your life, okay? So that's bitterness, but also evil speaking. You ever noticed in certain families, there's a tendency in them to hold unforgiveness and they, have, they hold grudges. You guys ever seen that in certain families? They hold grudges. That's an iniquity. Another iniquity I mentioned here is evil speaking because a lot of times it's connected to unforgiveness. If somebody gets upset and then they want to go run the person down, Right? So evil speaking is gossip, slander, and grumbling, being negative and grumbling and complaining. 
but these are realms of evil speaking in the Bible. And you can see in certain families, there's an iniquity with evil speaking. They have a tendency to sit around the dinner table and talk about other people, gossip, tell their business, smear their character, and they have a tendency to grumble and complain all the time. They have an evil tongue, but that's an iniquity in them, and you can see it in the whole family. And I would add this too, just being extremely negative in life. You ever been around certain people that it's hard because all they do is talk about negative? See, that's iniquity. So this is just a few examples. There, there could be other things, okay? So don't limit yourself to this. If things come to mind, write it down. But those that are taking notes, I want you to think about, is any of this, do you see this in your family? Do you see certain tendencies towards strife and fighting? Also, in the realm of rebellion, homes out of order, husbands not leading, wives not submitting, children not obeying, there's not that order in the home. You'll see a lot of times in families that the entire family is that way. Why? Because there's an iniquity there of rebellion against God's order. And let me just rabbit trail for a second about something. I feel like you guys need to know this. So you're going to see in, the, in these, what the Bible calls the last days. We don't have a lot longer till Jesus comes, okay? You're going to see what I'm about to tell you. The Bible predicts great deception. And I'm looking at this, and I know you feel the same way. I'm looking at some of the things that's going on, and it's, it's insane. It makes no sense. And you know it. You know that it's confused. Now, people, what people do is they say, well, these bunch of idiots, they're, they're the dumbest thing. You know what, though? Here's the thing. Maybe some of that. But I'm going to tell you, you're not dealing in the realm of low IQ. If some of these people, if they take an IQ test, may be intelligent and they may be educated. You're dealing in the realm of great deception and confusion. It's different. And you're dealing with great rebellion against God. Hear me. Great rebellion. God made somebody a man, and they're going to turn him into a woman. You know what that is? That's rebellion against God Almighty. You take, <clears throat> I mean, God creates life in the womb, creates life, and what they want to do? Kill that life. Great rebellion and murder. In America, unfortunately, it's so pervasive that people just... But even the fact God has an order in the home. The husband's supposed to be the head of the home, make the final decision. They're the leader. I'll never apologize for sinning with God. Not popular in America. That's what the Bible says. But what do you see? In every sitcom, in every show, in every movie, they always play the guy being the biggest idiot that ever lived and the wife always runs the show. You know what that is? Great rebellion against God and his word. Children. The Bible says in the latter days, children will disobey their parents and rebel. Do you know that? You're living in a time where that's some of you young people, that's all you've ever known, that's all you've ever seen. You think it's normal. It's not normal. Some of these people that are older than 40 and 50 remember when that wasn't always the case. But what you're dealing with, great rebellion against God. Society. It's just, it's conf there's deception and there's rebellion. All right. So how do we deal with this iniquity? Again, there's three levels of deliverance. The most important level of deliverance is that you deal with the legal ground. So you need to, we've got to get on our face and we've got to repent. We've got, to, we've got to say, Lord, we've sinned, we're guilty. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Okay, there's got to be a repentance. And when people humble themselves and repent, then that legal permission is cleared. So there's three things about repentance. Number one is, have you really truly forgiven everybody from your heart? Because if you don't forgive others, God cannot forgive you. Number two, have you truly 
confessed and repented of all your sin and iniquity. And also, you need to say, Lord, that in my family, because a lot of that iniquity is family-based. And then number three, is your life obedient to God? Because there's some people that have that rebellious iniquity streak in them that they don't have their life lined up with God. There's areas in their life that are rebellious toward the Bible. They don't obey the Bible. And because they're rebelling in certain areas, even though they say, Lord, forgive me of this, your life has to line up with the Word, okay? So number one is canceling the legal ground. Then number two, once you confess and repent of your sins, you're in obedience, you forgive people, your life is right with God, then you can destroy the works of the devil. You have authority to, draw, to destroy Satan's works, to break every curse, to destroy the strongholds, and then you can drive out the enemy. But until you repent, you don't have authority over them. That's why sometimes you take authority. I've done this many times praying with people, and certain people just bam, 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 they're set free. Other people, it's like you're coming up against a brick wall. There's something still there, some kind of legal permission, some kind of stronghold. And when you really pray and fast and that iniquity is purged, then that stronghold can be cleared. Is this making sense? So let me say it again. We've got to cancel the legal permission by deep repentance. Then we can destroy the devil's works and we can drive out the enemy. But you don't have authority until you've done the first. As long as things are not right, he's not moving. So we need to ask ourselves those questions. Have we really forgiven everybody? Have we really repented of our sins? and iniquity, and is our lives obedient to God's word in every area? If we cannot answer yes to all these, it is not possible to truly be free from satanic oppression. And so this is how I want to close is this. I dealt with iniquity. Now I'm going to deal with us being priests unto God. So many people, when you talk about a priest, they think of like maybe a Buddhist priest or a Catholic priest or... Uh, Eastern Orthodox or something. No, we're dealing with God's priesthood that he uh, wrote about in the scriptures, okay? So the Aaronic priesthood. But see, what God gave through Moses to Aaron and his sons and the Levites, and there was this priesthood, it has been fulfilled in Christ. So now, all true Christians, the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. So we are priests unto God right now, which is a big deal. People that don't know the Old Testament don't understand the significance of that. But we're able to go into the Holy of Holies. And we have those priestly garments on us that are true Christians. You have the white garments of righteousness. You're made the righteousness of God in Christ. The blue garment of the baptism in the Holy Ghost and the gold garment of the glory is available. But as priests... Here's how God would consecrate the priest. When the priest was going to be set in his priestly duties to be able to go minister near God, to get near the glory, the first thing was they would water immerse this priest. So he had to go through an immersion. There was a deep consecration. Then there was an animal that was sacrificed, the ram of ordination, and the blood was applied. They would put blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, the right toe, representing the thoughts, the works of hands, the walk, and they were consecrated by the blood. I mean, it was Jesus fulfilled that. Now we're consecrated by what? The blood of Jesus. Then thirdly, they would be anointed with oil. And once they were anointed and went through this process, they were consecrated that they now could get near God, near his glory. They actually could go in, the priest, to the holy place and get right up against that veil where the ark was just right next to it, and they could burn that incense and pray. So the point is, is that there's a pattern here. And so in the New Testament, we're priests unto God. I believe the priestly garments is the same thing as the wedding garments or the bridal garments. And in the same way, there's three ways that God still uses. It's the same pattern. In 1 John, it talks about the blood, the water, the spirit, these three testify. There's the same pattern all through Scripture. And you remember how Jesus sent out the 70 and they, had, they anointed people with oil? 
and demons left them and they were healed. Remember that? And so we see the same pattern. So as priest unto God, here's how God's going to consecrate. It's our responsibility to pray and to fast and to deeply repent of our sin and let God purge us. If there's anything in our family blood that's been hindering us, holding us back, ask yourself a question. Are you really hungry and on fire for God? Or is there something holding you back? Do you feel like there's a hindrance there? That hindrance is iniquity in you, maybe in your family blood. And you can be free from that to really go after God. But if we humble ourselves and repent in prayer and fasting, God purges from iniquity, then when we come together like this, it's a corporate anointing. We're going to take communion together. And this is the priestly consecration, you see. As we take communion, we're bringing our body, soul, and spirit and every part of us, even our blood, our DNA, our generations, we're bringing everything under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, his body, his blood, what he did for us on the cross. We're bringing the blood of Jesus fresh over our lives. It's a deep priestly consecration. The power of the communion table is awesome. I don't have time to teach. I've done a whole series on it. We've written about it in books. We've taught it in depth, but it is our covenant meal. What represents the Lord's body and blood goes into your body and blood. The blood is applied, and it helps take us past the veil into the Holy of Holies. The Bible says that it's the cup of blessing we drink. It brings a blessing on you. And what I said, what represents his body and blood goes into our body and blood. There's a union with Christ. It's like the two becoming one, if you will, as you take communion. There's something special about that. That's kind of mysterious, but it's there. It's powerful. And the blood brings great protection from the enemy. And like I mentioned, it brings you into the glory. So that's the first thing is the blood. The second thing is the anointing with oil. The Bible says in the book of James, if any are sick among you, let him anoint with oil in the prayer of faith to bring healing. So we know that there's something New Testament about these things. We know that the communion table, we know the anointing with oil. But see, what the pattern God gave under Moses is now fulfilled in Christ, you see. So whenever we anoint you tonight, there is a deep consecration as a priest unto God, but it's not just oil on you in the natural. It is a spiritual oil that's going to pour over you here in a moment. And when we pray for you, the Holy Spirit is going to fill you, and there's going to be like a baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. And so the Holy Spirit will fill and saturate you and clothe you in a fresh way. And that empowerment of the Holy Spirit helps you to overcome. I may have felt God's power when you get prayer sometimes, okay? So we're going to anoint you and pray for you. And my personal opinion is none of this, none of this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Um, it's very religious, but different circles believe differently. And I, but I'm just telling you, I believe that the communion table is as often as you desire and that the Lord can fill you with his spirit every day. There can be a fresh baptism and fire. Uh, there can be a fresh anointing, a fresh move in your life. And so we're going to pray for that. And then number three is the waters of immersion, baptism. And baptize means, the baptismo word means to immerse. So it's not sprinkle or dry clean, it's immerse. And so when you, when you get immersed in water, there is such a power in this, okay? Unfortunately, a lot of the religious denominational circles have totally missed the, the depth of the power of what's available in this because they just make it a religious tradition. Communion, the anointing, and water immersion is just a religious ritual with no power. Why is it that you look at revivals like Brownsville and other places and they would water immerse people and people were so overcome by the power of God they had to have people carrying them off? You see what I'm saying? It's a powerful, it's supposed to be powerful, not a dead religious ritual. So when we immerse you, what's happening spiritually, just like remember the priest was immersed in the Hebrew culture, it's called a mikveh, it's an immersion. There is a deep priestly cleansing. 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that Israel was baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So that's the pattern. So you're being baptized, and what's happening is, is that that Red Sea, remember it parted, but then it closed behind them. When the waters closed, how many guys have at least seen the movie, okay? When the waters closed behind them, what happened? All of Pharaoh's army was destroyed. So what happens is, is the Lord destroys your enemies. And he helps then the Red Sea form like a, a, a water in between them and Egypt. There was some kind of a separation. So water baptism separates you from the torment of your past and things that have been trying to follow you. There's a power in baptism. It's an awesome power. And we have seen many times as we take communion, as we anoint with oil, and as we water immerse, all three, we have seen where people have been deeply consecrated unto God, and it's like a pollution is washed away. And we have seen where they have been delivered from things. I've had people tell me many times, Pastor, I felt something leave me. They're being delivered from stuff. And I've seen many times where people have been healed. So as you deeply consecrate your life, there's deliverance from the enemy, there's healing, and there's this deep priestly consecration so that you can go deeper in the glory. So the last two things I want to mention before we pray is this. How many want to go deeper in the glory? Think about it. You want to go deeper than you've been. See, there should be a hunger for that, and people do. Well, as we pray and fast, and God brings things up, and he purifies us, and we repent, all of that, and then we come together, and we do this consecrating our lives like this, you know what? Tomorrow, you're going to wake up and feel different. I guarantee you, you're going to feel more clean, and you're going to feel more free, and then you're going to be able, in your own walk, to go deeper in Christ. Because some of the hindrances have been removed that were there, you see. So the last thing I want to say is this, because I opened with iniquity, and I want to close with iniquity, is this. When you deal with it in you, you're not just liberating yourself. You're liberating your family and your descendants. Don't leave it to the next generation. Don't leave a battle for them to have to fight. I'm going to tell you a couple stories as I close because you need to hear these stories for it to make sense. There's a man named Ed Decker that I really love and respect, and he got saved. He was in Mormonism for years, and his family was deeply involved in Freemasonry going back like 200 years plus. He said that as far back as he knew, his family were deeply involved in Freemasonry where they would get up into like 30s, 32nd, even the honorary 33rd degree, he said not only the men, but he said the women, the children were actively involved in it. And he said that he gave his life to Jesus, left the Mormon church, and he became one of the greatest thorns in the side of the Mormon church that has ever existed. I mean, they, they hate this guy. I think like if, you know how society, we have the 10 most wanted, you have those things in the post office. I think that the Mormons might have his picture up in different places, like this guy, you know. But he became a thorn. But anyway, as he was, became a Christian and he was praying, he had seen Freemasonic rituals in the Mormon temple, by the way. And he was praying, and the Lord really dealt with him that he needed to renounce anything Freemasonic. Every ritual he had ever done, that his family had done, he needed to take authority and renounce those altars, those covenants, Freemasonic gods, all those rituals, all those blood-curdling oaths, all those satanic rituals they did. He needed to renounce all of it. And so he did that. He got away by himself, and he began to really pray and renounce it, ask forgiveness. And he said after he got done, because it took a little while, he felt something leave, and he felt free, and he felt different. And so he's like, man, I'm going to call my wife. This was years ago before there was cell phones. So he went to a pay phone, and he's dropping in the quarter. He's calling his wife, and he says, honey, i got to tell you what just God laid on my heart and what I just did. And she said, but before you do, she said, I need to tell you something. She said about, and I don't remember the exact time, okay. She said like about an hour ago, she said, man, she said, I was here at home, and they had like a couple boys, two or three sons. He said, I was here at home with our boys. And next thing I know, for no reason out of the clear blue, all three of them went berserk. 
One of them fell down, started beating his head on the wall. Another one's on the ground writhing around. They're screaming. They're acting crazy. She said, I didn't know what happened or why. She said, I'm just kind of praying. Next thing I know, several minutes pass, and then they just kind of go limp, and it just is gone. And he said, well, when exactly did that happen? And she said, such and such time. And he said, you know what? That's exactly when I was renouncing all this stuff. It not only liberated him, it liberated his descendants. It liberated the blood. And I could tell several other stories like that. I've seen it over and over and over and over. So when people repent and deal with it and you, it doesn't just liberate you that iniquity can leave your family. And let me tell you a specific story about iniquity. There was a man, he's a minister, wonderful man of God, and I saw this as firsthand. I saw him tell the story about himself. And he said that as far back as he could remember, he had some kind of a strange anger problem that was unexplainable. He said it wasn't normal. He knew that something was there. Something was in his blood something in his family. He couldn't put his finger on it, and he didn't know why it was there, but he said that all it took was just scratching the surface, and he would just feel like he was going to get enraged. And he learned as a Christian now to kind of manage it, but it was hard. And um, consequently, he also dealt with high blood pressure. As how many knows when you deal with things like different areas, you also usually deal with health problems connected to it, like bitterness, arthritis. You see what I'm saying? So he was praying about this, and he really felt that there was something in his family. And so he asked forgiveness for the iniquity that was in him and in his family that went back to all this anger, whatever it was. Maybe there was violence, maybe there was murder, something, but he asked forgiveness for the iniquity that was in him and in his blood, and he said he felt something leave him. And he said after it left, he said that he felt so calm, and he said it was cleared. Something changed. You know what that was? Iniquity. And then he said he was talking to his son like a week later or something, and he was telling his son about it, and his son said, you know what? He said, it's interesting that you would tell me that because he said, Around that time, about a week ago, he said, I woke up, and he said, for the first time in my life, he said, I wasn't angry at the world. He dealt with it. He took responsibility, dealt with it, and it liberated his son. It liberated the descendants, you see. So when you get free, it frees your kids, your grandkids, etc. It's important that we deal with it in our generation and not leave it for the next generation. Because not only that, but Satan tries to really compound it and make it worse every generation. You ever notice that? That it seems like the dad was, you know, a certain way, but man, the son is even worse in that way. It seems to get, Satan wants it to get worse in generations. So I could tell a lot more stories, but I want to pray. And I think that I've made the point. So take this home, write out some notes on it. And, and, you know, if you feel led to, I do, and my family does, and I know some of you have already told me, but if you feel led to extend the fast, this is the time to really get on our face and say, Lord, take out of me by the roots and kill it any iniquity. Lord, I repent. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm guilty it's me, it's been in my family, but I've done it. Forgive me for this iniquity. Take it out of me and my family. Lord, that my kids won't have to deal with it. My grandkids won't have to deal with it. Lord, it's removed out of me and my family. My spouse won't be tormented by it. This is going to leave or cleanse me. And once you do that and you cancel that legal permission, then you have authority to drive it out. You then... Can take authority. Lord, 
I release me and my family from every generational curse. I break the power of the enemy, and I bind these demonic spirits. You're no longer going to harass me or my family. You're not going to afflict our health anymore. You're not going to cause strife and division in our family anymore. You're not going to suppress our finances. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You will leave and never come back, and you will leave this family, not just me. You're going to leave the family. You're going to leave the blood in Jesus' name. All right, so Lord, I just thank you for this word tonight. We bless you. Seal this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna take communion here in a moment. All right, as we take communion tonight,